0: you can go ahead and have a seat. I want to bring a couple of things to your attention. One is that you are welcome to stick around after the service today. You see all the tables back there. There will be a lunch provided by and, and sponsored by the Haiti team, and they're going to share some recaps, some stories, some information about their trip uh, to Haiti this fall, this past fall. So if you are if you're interested, you're welcome to stick around. There was no RSVP needed, so we're uh, looking forward to that. Also, just continue to pray and lift up uh, those in our church family who are struggling with injuries, illnesses, uh, sicknesses. I think some of those prayer requests can be found in your bulletin. And so take a, take a moment uh, to look at those and, and be in prayer uh, for those who are hurting. I, I know uh, Mackenzie has been putting out a, a little QR code on the welcome table out there with, when there's opportunities to uh, bring someone a meal and bless them that way. So if God's putting that on your heart, uh, that's an awesome way to show uh, the love of Christ uh, to our church body. I'm uh, going to invite you to, to listen to this verse and then to just take a, a couple moments to bow your head and make this a prayer uh, before the Lord. But the verse is this. It's Psalm 19, uh, the last verse of the chapter, verse 14. It says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And let's just take a moment to, to pray that before God. We, we want the words of our mouth and the meditations of our hearts. Uh, to be acceptable in his sight. So invite you to do that as we uh, begin to play this next song.
1: You're worshiping with us online. We welcome you as well. If you happen to be here in, as a guest, and like this is like your first time, or maybe you've been here before, there is a, a fold in the bulletin uh, that kind of is a chance for you to let us know who you are. And you, if you have a chance during the service sometime, you'd fill that out and then you discreetly tear it off and put it in the offering box that's on the table in the entryway, that'd be great. We have a record of your attendance with us, and we can um, maybe touch base with you. If you're one of our regular church attenders, that fold is for you as well. If you have interest in uh, baptism or uh, some other thing that's listed there or something that's not listed there, a prayer request, and we do have people turn those in, that'd be great. We sure appreciate you doing that uh, for us. I'd like you to pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for your mercy and grace, and I pray that everyone within earshot of what we've been doing here this morning would be able to say, this is my story, Uh, this is my song, Uh, praising my Savior all the day long. And Father, as we come uh, this morning to worship you through the study of your word, as we continue to worship you through the study of your word. My prayer is that you'd speak to each of our hearts, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful truths from your law, but that you'd use these truths to change our lives uh, for your glory and for the advancement and the gain of your kingdom. And we pray, Father, for many in our congregation who are dealing with uh, loss and with illness and with recovery from surgery not them necessarily, only them personally, but their families as well, that you would surround them with your love, uh, encourage them by your grace. May they sense your presence and your power working in them and through them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was looking out the window the other day, and uh, I saw the trees, the deciduous trees, uh, the ones that have leaves, not the Conifers that have the needles. And you know, I thought, these trees absolutely look dead, but they're actually alive. And then, just I guess how my uh, mind works, uh, disciples of Jesus are actually dead, but alive. We are dead to sin, and we are alive to God. Now, that's a truth, that a precious truth, upon which, actually, is the foundation upon which any hope that we would have of living victoriously over sin in this world and in this life is, is dependent. And it's taught to us by way of a response that the apostle Paul had in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 through 14 to those who may have misunderstood what he had taught previously in chapter 5 about the abundance of grace in our salvation that where sin abounds grace superabounds okay and so the skeptics may have understood him to teach that he was sanctioning lawlessness by saying where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Rather than promoting wickedness, justification by faith actually propels believers to righteousness through this very understanding that we're dead to sin, but we're alive to God. And so this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. And here Paul offers three reasons again. I see three reasons. You may see. A bunch of other stuff, and I'm sure you will. But the three reasons why Christians aren't to live in sin, but live to God. Romans chapter six, beginning with verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? So that grace may increase? May it never be. How should we hear a died to sin still live in it or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into christ jesus have been baptized into his death therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the father so we too stop there so we too might walk "...in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, we shall certainly be with Him in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Christ, with Him, in order that our body of sin might be destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves of sin." For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not mas- be, be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We're dead to sin. Through Christ. At least that's what I see the text saying. There's three steps that lead us, at least three, that lead us to that conclusion in verses one through seven. First of all, there's this examination that Paul goes into. What shall we, we, now who's he talking to? What shall we, believers, those who are trusting in Jesus Christ for their salvation, what shall we, believers, say then? <laughs> He anticipates an objection that's in the minds of his readers, that could be in the minds of, of his readers based upon his previous declaration. They might be thinking, you know, he, they say, he says, Are we to continue in sin? Picking up from chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, where he says, Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. So, does that mean that Paul is teaching that we should keep on sinning? Because when we do, then God is even more glorified because we keep sinning. He articulated the skeptic's insinuation that Paul was not only permitting, but he was promoting disobedience as a means of glorifying God. Which is absolutely not what Paul was doing, but that's what they were going to accuse him of. Uh, certain cities in the United States have, have actually uh, permitted and passively, at least, promoted um, crime in, in the guise of uh, magnifying their uh, tolerance and their sense of um, being impartial. Well, Paul responded to the acceptability, this idea that believers doing evil brings about good. Uh, he had actually addressed it, we, we saw this in chapter 3, verse 9 and following, this idea that, oh, we should, we should do evil so, so good can, can happen, by saying emphatically, may it never be. <laughs> That's the exclamation. May it never be. He denounces like this idea that sinfulness should be engaged, promoted, and to promote God's glory. It's, it's unconscionable. It's just ludicrous for someone to even think that. And Paul's explanation begins with this rhetorical question in, uh, in, in verse 2. How shall we who died to sin live in it? How shall we who died to sin live in it? How shall believers who died to sin... Now, what does it mean, you died to sin? Well, if we're a believer, we're never again condemned by sin and we're never controlled by sin. Uh, we're going to try to tease that out a little bit, okay? So this is kind of the essence of this, but that's the summary of it. How can we do that? How can we still live in sin from which we have been liberated? If I'm free from something, I don't live in it. I'm not controlled by it anymore. We're delivered by death. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, um, Peter says, Christ died for sin once for all. He brought, he, he brought us sins oh he, uh, he himself I'm sorry I got 1 Peter 3:18 and 1 Peter 2:24. 1 Peter 2:24. He himself uh, brought, he brought he himself brought our sins in his own body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we were healed. So he Christ made it possible for us to die to sin's controlling influence, making it impossible and inconceivable that we would continue to sin in order for glor- to glorify God. That's just not happening. That's just not what it is. And we're supposed to live to righteousness. By His wounds we're healed. So real sanctification means we're liberated from sin, but we're also progressing in our righteous living. All right? Paul says in Philippians chapter 1:6, "He who began a good work in you will perform it." Until the day of Christ Jesus, there's the expectation that we're maturing in our, in our walk with God. Now, we, we saw this examination, the ex- exclamation, now the explanation. And he takes verses 3-7 through seven to explain uh, why it is we're dead to sin and alive to God. First, our union with Christ in his death and resurrection means we're dead to sin. If I'm united with Christ and he died and he died to sin and he conquered sin, then I'm in union with Christ, so am I dead to sin, but let's tease it out. It says, or do you not know, in in verse 3. Now, he uses that phrase a couple of different times in this section. Or do you not know? And what is he saying? It implies that they're ignorant of understanding that they have been spiritually immersed into Christ through the Holy Spirit, which is symbolized by water baptism. So there's a lot of talk about baptism here. Or do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And so then the question is, what is it talking about? Well, here's my uh, take as you walk through it. All of us believers, you can put that, have been baptized into. What does it mean to be baptized into? It means to be brought into union with or uh, identified with. We've been brought into permanent union with Christ. Okay? and this glorious union this glorious being brought into this uh, spiritual union with Christ is that which Paul is speaking about in Romans 3 uh, Romans 6 3 through 10 so he's talking about the spiritual union but what he's doing is he's using the language of water baptism and the reality of water baptism to present a picture physically and outwardly of what is actually taking place internally and spiritually for for a believer, okay. So that's that's what I believe he's describing here. This spirit baptism is the one baptism that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four verse five. He says, "One Lord, one faith, one baptism." It's mentioned or referred to, I think, in Galatians chapter three twenty seven, where he says, "Through faith we have put on Christ. We have been united with Christ, and we become one with all other Christians." First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twelve through uh, 12 and 13, for just as the body is one, a human body, yet has many parts, and all the parts of the human body, though there are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one spiritual body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves, so it's that one spiritual body into which we have been baptized at the moment we put our faith or our trust in Christ that Paul is talking about using Water baptism to show us what it means spiritually, okay? So, yeah, he's talking about spirit baptism and water baptism, but the spirit baptism is what he's focusing on. The water baptism is just used to describe physically what has really already happened spiritually because water baptism doesn't accomplish spirit baptism. It only pictures it. It's an outward visible sign, of an internal and spiritual reality. So that is what he's, he's, he's getting at. At least that's how I understand it. So all believers have been baptized into his death through faith and identified with him. We have been baptized. That's what it says in verse 3. I'm, I'm, I'm back in the text now. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus, every believer has been baptized into Christ Jesus through faith, and we identify with him so completely by faith in our baptism, that we can say we died when He died, and His death was our death. Okay, for our sin and to unto sin, so that we're we're dead to sin. In Romans chapter five eight, we looked at that, but God demonstrates His love towards us in that while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Second Corinthians chapter five verse twenty one. He, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. For us. In our place. So that when he died, it was actually, somehow, miraculously, my death. In my place, for me. So that now, I'm dead to sin. That's what he's talking about. Verse 4. He says, therefore, okay. Our spiritual union with Christ in his death and burial points us to something else that therefore looks back to the baptized into his death. We have been buried with him. That's baptism into death. Through baptism into death, for what reason? There's a a result that comes here. In order that as Christ was raised from that, oh, so we're not just been united with him in his death, we have somehow been connected to him in his resurrection. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, uh, says this having been buried with him in baptism. Okay, so that's the first part. Now we're looking forward to something else. In the end of verse 6, or in verse 4, he says, So that we too might walk in newness of life. We have been united with him in his death, we've been united with him in his resurrection, and the result of that being united with him in his resurrection is that we would walk in newness of life. Okay. We have been marvelously and miraculously united with him by faith to walk a new life. Now, walk. Walk a new life. It has to do with conduct, okay? Activity. uh, Our everyday rubbing shoulders. Not just church stuff, you know. It's everyday, nitty-gritty, grimy stuff of, of interacting with your friends, your family, your neighbors, and your coworkers. We are to walk in newness of life, where newness speaks of the quality of life and the character of life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's it. We're we're new creatures in Christ. Just as rebellion marked us out as unbelievers, righteousness is the mark in conduct, is the mark of a believer. Okay, marks out our new life. Verse five, for if we, okay, for if introduces a further affirmation that our union with Christ in his death. Certainly will, and resurrection will certainly bring about this new life within us. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, well, surely, I mean, that makes sense, right? If we're united with him in his death, then why are we not united with him in the likeness of his resurrection? Certainly we are. United with him in the likeness of his resurrection. And this united with him in the likeness of his resurrection brings new life to us, and it brings a new way of life to us. It doesn't just regenerate us. It does that. But it changes us into regenerate people. Not just new life, but a new way of life in Christ. The second or Colossians chapter two verse twelve b, uh, Colossians two twelve b, in which you were also raised with him. So see, uh, Paul says it in Colossians two: we were buried with him, and we were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Our union with Christ. Then he talks about our conviction based upon that union. Okay, in verses six and seven. We've been united with Christ. That's the basis for which we're going to say that we are dead to sin. But now we have this idea that we are a conviction. And what's the basis of that conviction? I love verse 6. Knowing this. um, What do you know? Something that you have absolute certainty of. You're aware of it intellectually, but you also are certain of it as a fact. Knowing this points to what believers should fully be aware of in our brains and convinced of in our hearts. Namely, that our old self was crucified. Our old useless worn out self. That's what old means. It's it's worthless and useless. It consists of our unregenerate man that's enslaved to sin. That Man is dead. Or woman. That person is dead. We could go to Ephesians 4. We go to Colossians 3. We, we talked about who that person was in, in, in Romans chapter 3. Was crucified, was put to death when Christ secured our pardon at Calvary. Our old man is dead. Our old sinful nature is done with. Okay. That's what I think he's saying here. What did Paul say? I have been crucified with Christ. Oh, identified with Christ in his death. And he, too, had been crucified with Christ. And every believer has been crucified with Christ. And the crucifixion of our old man through union with Christ by faith was for a reason. He says it in verse 6. That our body of sin might be done away, that that old sin nature might be done away. Okay. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Might be um, does not really mean potentially. Okay, it doesn't mean a possibility, but it indicates an actuality. All right, Is that are knowing this that our old self has been crucified that we might be well there was a potentiality until we actually trusted Christ and when we trusted Christ the potentiality became actuality resulting in our actual You know, it indicates what actually happened when we were united with Christ on, when he died on the cross and done away with doesn't mean obliterated in the sense of Complete and absolute destruction it just means that it's rendered ineffective. so our old the body of sin was rendered ineffective, um, inoperative, um, incapable of exercising its influence. We uh, security lights outside uh, some I don't know, some fancy photovoltaic uh, sensor or something went out. So now they don't go on and off when they're supposed to. So we just have to throw the breaker. Well, the breaker's on, but the other day I, I turned it off. And then I realized I'd forgotten to turn it on. if you throw the breaker, it renders the whole electrical functioning to that system inoperative ineffective incapable of getting juice to whatever you need juice to our old man the juice is cut off okay it's it's inoperative unless we open ourselves up to its control but it, it doesn't have control unless we open ourselves up, up to it okay salvation put our old sinful nature nature's dominance to death liberating us from its control and its passions. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, Paul says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its desires and passions. Okay? It's dead. But salvation doesn't eliminate our corrupt fleshly inclinations. Because that's only going to happen when we're in glory. So the the controlling power and dominance that breakers off, but we still have these inclinations towards it until, till glory. And Paul, we're going to get to that in Romans seven. Okay, I think that's what Paul's talking about in Romans chapter seven. You can write this down, verses twenty one through twenty three. He says the things that I want to do or uh, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do. That's the very thing that I do do. I, I just don't know what's going on. There's a battle of war going on within me. Yeah, right. So the sin nature is dead crucified it's done away but only in the sense that it's rendered inoperative circuit breakers off but we're still subject to those inclinations it can't control us at all it has it it can't control us but if we open ourselves up and and let things happen then we're we're in trouble and the result of a crucified unregenerate life is that we believers are at the end of verse 7 he says which is parallel really If you look uh, at done away with, and then he says that we would no longer be slaves of sin. That's the point. If you're a child of God, and you've turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross as a payment for sins, you are no longer a slave of sin. Sin is no longer your master. Okay, That's what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. We're no longer under sin's mastery from the moment we become a new creation in Christ. See, unbelievers have no choice. Before Christ, we're under sin's slavery, mastery, domination. It rules us. It's dominating. Unbelievers are slaves of sin's dominating influence and destructive consequence, which is death and a bunch of other nastiness. Before we die, okay? All that believers have been delivered from. We're liberated through faith in Christ. I don't have to covet your jaguar, I don't have to refuse to forgive you, I don't have to lust, I don't have to steal. I don't have to tell lies. You know, even the little little you know eh, we consider not so bad ones. I don't have to envy or hold a grudge or seek revenge. Now sometimes I do. And so do you. But if you know Christ, you don't have to. You're free, free at last from sin's dictatorship in your life. We're not enslaved to sin. In fact, he goes on now, we are alive to God in Christ. It gets better. It's not that we're just dead to sin. We're alive to God in Christ. In verses 8 through 11, the three perspectives inform our understanding of being alive in God that inform our perspective and inspire us to, do, to live like we're, it's kind of like to say, live like who you are. I used to tell my kids, they walk out the door in uh, Colossians uh, 1.10, walk worthy. Walk worthy. Live in a way that is worthy of your calling. This is interesting, Paul prays this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, I think it's 2, verse 1 verses 11 and 12. He prayed, I always pray for you that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Worthy of his calling. Okay? So, walk worthy. So, and so what are these perspectives? Well, first of all, we believe we shall live based upon our spiritual connection. In verse 8. Oh, I said, we're no longer slaves of sin. I kind of skipped over verse 7, right? Well, we're, we're, we're no longer slaves. Why are we no longer slaves? Because we're freed from sin. And we, we died, we're freed from sin. Okay? Verse 8. He says, now, if we, have die- if we have died with Christ, which he just said we did, and so we're freed from sin, we believe that we shall also live with him. Oh, it sounds kind of like we're repeating the same stuff again. Yeah, we are. Because we're, we're right, right back to, to verse 5, I think, and, and what comes before it. But here's the deal. Believers aren't just liberated. He's saying you're not just liberated from slavery to sin because you died with Christ. Much more than that. We believe that we shall certainly which is kind of the force of it we shall also live with him we shall certainly also live with him it's 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 that's going to happen second timothy chapter 2 verse, 12, verse 11 uh, says this the statement is trustworthy for if we died with him what we also live with him we died with him we also we're confident and we're confident that we're going to live with him this is verse 9 and 10 because Christ conquered sin and death And that's a fact based in his resurrection. Verse 9, here we go again. Knowing that, again a phrase that's repeated, we saw it in in verse 6. Knowing that, knowing that Christ, we know this, what follows is what we know, that Christ having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. And if death is no longer master over him because sin is no longer master over him, if we've been united with him in Christ then death is no longer master over us because sin is no longer master over us. I can't say that again. <laughs> Notice the text says that his resurrection is a certain fact which proves that he will never die again, death will no longer be his master. Now, if, he died with, if we died with Christ, we believe that he, we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Because death is no longer his master. And why is death a master? Sin brings us under death's tyranny. Okay? Right? Now follow me. Sin brings us under death's tyranny because the consequence of sin is death. Okay? But Jesus submitted to sin and death when he died on the cross and purchased our pardon and conquered sin and death in his resurrection. Okay? And since by faith we have been raised dead and raised with Christ, then like him, we also will never die again. We live. Because sin is no longer our master. Which means that death is no longer our master because sin leads to death. And if sin is our master, then it leads naturally to death being our master. Not true. Okay? We'll never die again. It's no longer our master. My freshman year in high school, I think I may have told you this, our football team hadn't won a game in 26 outings. That's three plus seasons back then. We won our first game. No longer losers right no longer losers uh, at least for a while until we lost our next game when Jesus died and rose on the cross he did it and notice I want you to follow the text he did this death is no longer master over him for death that he died he died to sin verse 10 once for all only one time. All's needed. It's done. Game over. It's not going to happen again. He died for sin once for all. Christ died, not only died. And interesting. I say Christ died not only for our sin Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but to sin. He died to sin, breaking sin's tyranny over every believer. Liberating us from death's mastery once and for all. Now, 1 Peter 3:18, Christ died once for all, the just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, having put to death in the spirit, made alive, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Securing our eternal victory. And this is thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh death where is your uh, oh sin where is your 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 sting death oh sin where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and he is in 1 Corinthians 15 but thanks be to God he gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and not only did he it says verse 10 not only that he died to sin once for all but the life that he lives he lives to God so it's not just a death thing it's a life thing He didn't just die to sin, but he lives to God. As do all of us who are united with him by faith in Christ. We live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. To God I live. And so do you if you're in Christ. And finally, we we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God as as a logical conclusion. He kind of wraps up this little section in verse 11. Even so, in light of all that's gone on in verses 1 through 10, you take that and you claim it. You've been baptized into Christ Jesus. By faith, you are there. His death is your death. His burial is your burial. His resurrection is your resurrection. And you claim that, and then you act on the basis of that, accepting without reservation that in Christ the power of sin has been broken. Even so, consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, count it to be true as a factual thing. You claim it that the power of, accept without reservation, that the power of sin has been broken in your life. Act like who you are. Believe it, and then behave as if it's true, because it is. It's not like, well, I've we got to work it up, you know, I've got to kind of... Uh... I think I can, you know, it's not, we're, not, we're not little Thomas train. you know, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. I am, I am, I am. You are, you are, you are. We are God's, we are God's children. We are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Our old sinful nature has been eradicated, liberating us from sin's dominance, okay? Uh, proviso, we can't escape Sin, we can't escape sin's influence. We're liberated from its dominance, but we're not... We can't escape its influence. And that's the problem, right? Because our struggle is, okay, you say this, Steve, that sin is no longer my master, but then why do I keep, you know, like, having road rage? Why is it that I'm so critical? Why is it that I'm so judgmental? Why is it that I do covet somebody's Jaguar? Well, That's the conflict. That's the struggle that we have. We get to it in chapter 7. But our, our sin nature is eradicated, liberating us from sin's dominance, but we can't escape its influence. Our struggle with sin conflicts with feeling like we're free from sin but the reality is we are so don't let our experience I try to tell people don't let your feelings detract from the facts yeah you know I just feel like a Christian Does God say you're going to feel like a Christian every day I don't read that in the Bible Oh, yeah, you're going to have warm fuzzies about being a Christian. Every day, you're going to wake up and just go, oh, kumbaya, kumbaya. You know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus more than you. Well, maybe you have that experience. I don't. But that's when I go to God's Word. Because, you know, the enemy's still active, and the enemy is a liar and a father of lies. He likes to whisper in your ear, yeah, you know, you're a dirtball. And he's true. I mean, I am. But, you know, but I'm a redeemed dirt ball. Or dirt bag, maybe you like that word better. Dust bunny. I'm a redeemed dust bunny. That's who I am. That's who you are if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And don't let Satan tell you otherwise. He's he's whispering in your ear, and you resist the devil. Submit to God by believing his word, and resist the devil, and he will flee. Sometimes it takes a lot of resisting. I understand. It's not a, oh yeah, name it, claim it thing. I'm not trying to make it out to be easier than it is. But this is the truth of who we are in Jesus. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. That's who you are. And we are to believe it, and we are to behave like it. And what difference? See, if we don't embrace this truth, we have no hope of living victoriously this side of glory. I mean, we're dead in the water. But if we embrace this truth, guess what? It, it neutralizes sin's appeal. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation taking you but such is common to man. But God is faithful. Who, who will make a way of escape that you may be able to, 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 to bear it. You may be able to resist it. What we got to do is like, okay, in the middle of the temptation, that's not me. That's not who I am. That's not, that's not me. And God, I need your help to give me ability to resist it. It incentivizes godly living in light of our new identity, Colossians chapter 3. It says, you know, keep seeking the things above. But God is seated at the right hand of God. Know that's who we are, you know. And uh, I'm not ready for that one yet. Sorry. Uh, I did mention Colossians chapter E, Some of these verses, you know, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. This is Colossians 5. We'll get there. Okay. And finally, um, it maximizes our confidence. If I know I'm dead to sin and alive to God, guess what? I'm eternally secure. I died with Christ. I rose with Christ. I'm gonna ri- I'm, I'm gonna, I've got new life. I've got a new life and i got a new way of life. And that new way of life and that new life is eternal. It's forever. And our destiny, you know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him, yeah, you know, they might have to wonder about this, but uh, maybe, maybe they will perish, maybe they won't. No. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, John 5, 24, has eternal life. Not might have, not wonders about, not would question. Has eternal life. Okay, that's over. We are dead to sin through Christ. We are alive to God in Christ. And we are called to right living under Christ. Verses 12 through 14, and two incentives. First, we're required to live righteously. Notice how the text starts, therefore, do not, in light of all this stuff, that you're dead to sin and alive to God, die to sin. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Refers back, therefore, refers back to the glorious reality of our, our relationship with God in Christ. That's who we are. And it reaches forward, exhorting those who are in Christ to resist sin. You know, it's a matter of choice. It really is. To resist sin as a matter of choice and to reject its reign in our mortal bodies because our mortal bodies is the battlefield that Satan uses in this war to wage war. It it is in our mortal, because we're not glorified yet. He can't touch our glorified bodies. He's only got this old shell to work with. And so he takes great advantage of it in your life and in my life. And and by God's, you know, we reject that by by God's power. Sin has no authority, it can only reign if we obey its lusts. If we concede and give ground to its lusts, then it has a door to us. Our immortal soul is safe. Right? Our mortal soul is safe from sin's contamination and sin's condemnation. But until our mortal bodies are, as we say at every funeral, right, where this mortal puts on immortality and death is swallowed up in victory, until that happens, this mortal body is subject to deception and defilement and death. Physical death, right? Okay. So the idea that we would continue to be greedy people, you know, nasty, dirty, naughty talking people, um, envious people, unforgiving people, jealous people, this kind of gluttonous people, It's antithetical and incompatible with who we really are. So he says, stop it. Don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey its lusts. We are graciously forgiven sinners, and we should live like it. Verse 13. And do not, so you see the the negative commands? Don't let sin reign, and then don't go on presenting, some versions say yielding, uh, your 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 bodies or opening them up to um, this this immorality. The war against sin is fought in our body, and Paul calls us to. A, uh, I think this is a, a once and for all thing. Like we're going to have to definitively say no more. I'm not presenting my, my my body and the instruments. My body and the my mind, my mouth. My, you know, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be careful, little brain, what you think. I know, it's not in there. Um, Be careful, little hands, what you do. I think what he's saying here is that Paul calls for a a definitive decision to stop serving up the members of my body to engage knowingly in, in wicked activities. No, I got to stop pornography. I got to stop greed. I got to stop, you know, whatever you fill in the blank. Jealousy, impatience. Now, it's a once and for all decision that you're yielding. It's the surrendering of our will and our bodies and our minds to Christ. This is Romans chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's saying, okay, I'm that dude. I'm that gal. There it is, Lord. I'm going to stop it, presenting my body in this way. Now, that's a once and for all, you know, decision, but there's sometimes along the way that you're going to, oh, there's this other sin. This is sin, It's a deeper uh, level of this pride issue. That's a nasty one. Because, um, you know, you're going to find out that pride manifests itself, in, manifests itself in all sorts of little nasty ways. And then once you become more aware of a different way that you've done it, then you might have to go back and say, Okay, Lord, that one too. Um, there it is. Because if we, we go on sinning, we're making our, inst- our bodies as instruments of righteousness. And that's Colossians 3.5. So so it says, stop this. Colossians 3.5, it says... Treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, uh, to, to, to passions and evil desires and greed, which amounts so dead to that. But not only that, that's with the negative prohibitions. Now he comes with the positive one at the end of verse 13. And he says this, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. Full and final surrender. Okay, Lord, here am I. Here am I. Take me. Does the Lord have your mind? Does the Lord have your money? Does the Lord have your time? Does the Lord have your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears? You. Does the Lord have... I I watched this interview, uh, Brock Purdy, who's was a former quarterback at the Iowa State University now is a San Francisco 49 starting quarterback. And uh, Brock Purdy, in this interview, he said, I'm living set apart from the world. My identity is in Jesus, and I'm called to be a witness, to share his word. That's a starting quarterback in the NFL. That's what he does for a job, but his mission is to live for Jesus. see, Purdy has presented himself to God. I'm yours. As one alive from the dead. And that involves a conscious choice to absolute surrender of every part of our minds, our eyes, our mouth, our feet, our strength. To pursue and practice righteousness in humble obedience to God. For the love of Christ controls us. Having considered this, that one died for all, therefore all died, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14. And then that just precedes verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. 16 is in there too. (laughs) Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ by the flesh. God utilizes it's amazing he utilizes the members of our body to bring him glory offered for his service how can we make disciples unless we god has our mouths our minds our eyes our feet our hands to make disciples how can we love one another if god doesn't have all these faculties within us how can we serve each other and serve christ no that's what it requires that's the positive admonition comes there's a, there's this We're required to live righteously, and then he gives us a reason in verse fourteen. States the summary, I think, for sin shall not be master over you. That's okay. I'm just kind of coming back here. Sin is not your master. Why not? What are we supposed to do? It what's what's the reason where sin is not supposed to be our master? Because God has mercifully rescued undeserving, unworthy sinners. ...from the law's condemnation. That's my interpretation of verse 14, okay? You're not under the law. Because God has marvelously rescued undeserving sinners from the law's... Now, we've looked at this, right? The law can't save us. All the law can do is highlight sin, expose sin, magnify sin... ...and show us how much we need saving. And so we're out from under that. We're out from under that condemnation of the law... ...through salvation by grace... And that deliverance from the law by grace, that doesn't incentivize sin. No, it, it does the opposite. It inspires us to obey. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It inspires us to obey. So if you're here today and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then you're dead to sin. And you're alive to God. In Christ Jesus. So now, act like it. Live it out. Abandon the sinful stuff and adopt a surrender to Jesus. What is godly. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead in sin. And headed for hell. I'm just going to put it out there. And I don't take pleasure in that. And neither does God. He wants you to turn from your sin and trust him so that you will be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus from this point forward and forever. And all you have to do is surrender your life to Christ and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm turning my life over to you. I trust what Jesus did on the cross. I want to be united with him in his death and burial because that paid the debt for my sin in his resurrection because it proved that he had victory over sin and death. And I want to join him in that so that I will be one of his children forever. And I want to have new life and a new way of life in Christ. Now, however you want to say that to God, I'm sure he'll hear you. And what better way to culminate this whole thing than to take the bread and the juice which remind us that we are united in Christ and that what God has done for us that we're dead to sin but alive to God through faith in Christ who died for our sins so that everyone who believes in Him could be a new creature in Him and walk in newness of life now and for eternity and these symbols just show us the sacrifice that He made and give us reason to praise Him for it Father These are deep truths, hard to understand, and I would say, dare, I say, uh, sometimes more difficult to uh, live out in our lives. And so I pray you'd give us grace and strength to walk with you and walk for you. Thank you for the newness of life and the new way of life we have in Christ. And I pray that you would help us to live more consistently in light of it by your grace and in the power of the Spirit of God who lives within us, may we claim what's true. We're dead to sin's power, dead to sin's dominance, dead to sin's mastery, and we serve a new master. We're slaves of righteousness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. forgot to pray for them they're headed for haiti i wanted to pray for them before they head out and then i'm sorry we'll let you sing that song
0: yeah and that would be great yeah sorry
1: they're leaving tuesday so be in prayer for them if you want to help with anything talk to them after father in heaven i just pray for mark and mary and for their ministry i pray for safety and for your sovereign spirits guidance and direction in the activities they're going to be engaged in down there I pray for their physical protection. I pray that the uh, tra- travel would go well, that there'd be no complications. And Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified, keep them physically healthy and strong and uh, honoring and serving you. And I pray that it'd be for your glory and the gain of your kingdom in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Let me out.
2: 30. But...